After the AFCON was cancelled, then wasn't. Premier League games are cancelled, then aren't. The Champions League draw was cancelled, then redone. And as for Christmas, well, that's anyone's guess. We just want to remind you, we're still here, listeners, and we are ready to give you your football fix. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, I am Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Tommaso, and it's episode 30 of the second season, hitting benchmarks. Remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and also give a follow to our cheeky sponsor at Sports Club Maps. It's the holiday season, and this might as well be the page where you find the Christmas gifts for your loved ones. Rory, ready for this uh, new episode? Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm getting into the Christmas spirit. I'm ready for my holidays. Booked my flights home to the UK. It's all feeling a bit real, even though the admin is a massive pain in the hole, I'll be honest. Uh, I know, man. So what day are you landing in in London and which airport? Um, I will be landing in Manchester um, on the 23rd, so I expect crowds there to greet me, guys. It's exactly. been two that's, years. Th- that's why I was telling, I was asking <laughs> you, so the fans, uh, do, do you mind if there are fans welcoming you back home? Oh, the more the merrier. I expect Maradona landed in Napoli scenes. That's what I expect when I get back. I'll be disappointed if not, guys. God, can you imagine being a footballer and witnessing those scenes? Like, you land from your flight and you arrive and it's absolute madness. You are going to experience it in one week from today, Rory. I'm excited for you. I cannot wait. I best start working out. I'm not in the best form I've ever been in, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, working out for, with beers. Yeah, with <laughs> beers so you don't you, so you can keep up with your friends back home. But Rory, I know you've been uh, you've been doing things in football manager. Well, I shared a thing on Twitter today that I was very very proud of. I think I might have had my greatest. Now I've shock. I've been playing football manager since I was about 11 years old. I think the first one I played was Championship Manager on 98, 99 or 2000, 2001. Wow. I've been playing for a long time, right? Every year. I think I just completed my greatest ever season. Um, I won the quadruple with Arsenal. Um, So I won the League Cup, FA Cup, League title and the Champions League. And Tommy, I hate to break it to you. I beat Inter in the Champions League final. And to make it even worse... Nicolo Barella scored the winning penalty in the 90th minute of normal time. Oh he scored God. the winning penalty. But <laughs> you'll be happy to know he did not he celebrate. Didn't celebrate. He oh, didn't celebrate. Wow. So FM also has this thing like it knows mm-hmm. where players moved from and they and they do not celebrate. It came he scored the penalty and then he just stood still and everyone ran around him. Oh, nice. Nicolò, class F. <laughs> but, but still, you could have missed it. <laughs> yeah. In that game, Aaron Ramsdale did step up and save a penalty as well, proving big moments. But I'm just, honestly, I was doing, now I hope my boss doesn't listen. We were doing exams in uh, in class today. And whilst the kids were sat doing the exams, I was playing this uh, these finals. So I had the FA Cup final and the Champions League final. Not celebrating that penalty was was the most self-restraint I've shown in quite a long time. Of like not just going, yes, yes. I was so happy. Um, the team is ridiculous. Osimhen can't even get into my first team. Um, Vlaovic is up front. Osimhen has to come off the bench. Midfield of Declan Rice and Barella. And it's just, honestly, it's made my day. It's made my week. It was such a great save but now listeners i need your feedback i feel like the the save isn't going to get any better than that i cannot have a better season right you you need to pull a Mourinho and leave arsenal man well this is the question right do i 
start a new save? Do I just quit Arsenal and wait for someone to pick me up? Because let's face it, someone has to now. Or do I continue with Arsenal and just make a legacy? I'll bear in mind that I have won the Premier League two years in a row now as well. So it's not like a one-off. I Look, feel like maybe I, the work's done. I would, yeah, I think the work's done. You want to go out as a winner. Um, go to, a, I know it sounds terrible, you're an Arsenal fan, but go to one of the biggest clubs in the world, maybe. Maybe go to a Real Madrid or something like that. No? Yeah, I've, I've kind of been keeping an eye on who's getting sacked, and no one's been bloody sacked yet, so I'm waiting for the big jobs to arrive. But what if I think Inter I Milan, What if Inter Milan offered you a job after the Champions League final? Would you accept it? Yeah, and then I'd win it with them. Against our yeah, yeah, so, yeah. before we actually jump to the actual football listeners, please do let Rory know what to do now with his FM save. It's very important. But Rory, do you have any recollection, maybe, of what players Inter Milan had in this fantasy world? Um, it was basically the same squad, except I'd taken Barella off them and Bastoni had been sold, <laughs> and I think Lautaro had gone. I didn't really look too much at the team. I know do, you remember who mi- who missed the penalty? do you remember who missed the penalty? Um, it was a guy called Wolf. It was a young Brazilian guy. Young God Brazilian damn guy. it. We're Someone you signed. But <laughs> importantly, Ramsdale saved it. Ramsdale saved it. Ramsdale saved it. Very good. Very important. <laughs> it's beautiful. You can actually win the quadruple with Arsenal in video games. That's why they are so popular all over the world. <laughs> and I'm only three seasons in. It's not even like 20 years in. It's not that long. <laughs> Back in the day when Inter couldn't win a league for 17 consecutive years there was this comedian who had an incredible sketch he was a diehard inter fan and uh, on national television he just talked about you know like long ball for adriano adriano shoulders off one defender shoulders off another one he fucking beasts in front of the goalkeeper chips the goalkeeper it's a post and then the goal the goalkeeper whistles because it's also the end of the game and then my wife tells me hey baby can you turn off the playstation (laughs) (laughs) and that was like the champions league final so it really lived in our minds rent free back in the day (laughs) but ladies and gentlemen we're ready to actually talk about real football we are going to review this midweek premier league action we're going to preview this weekend's action both in Serie A and the Premier League. We're going to tell you a little bit of the situation in the Coppa Italia, and then it's weekly topic time, this time around, dedicated entirely to one of our favorite players, I want to say, mm-hmm. who has just retired, but you will have to keep listening to find out who it is, even though it's very simple. And at the end of the show, of course, you're going to find our Passaparola quiz. Rory, should we jump on the blimp? Let's go! And here we are, up, up high in our Euro blimp. And it's mainly been English action or Premier League action this week. But as Tommy said, there has been a little sprinkling of Coppa Italia. And you know that we try, we want to try and make the Coppa Italia big. So we're going to try and give it a little bit of coverage. I think we think it deserves more, right? So we are going to make sure we keep on top of it. But we have to start in the Premier League. And Tommy, were there any particular results that caught your eye over this week any that stood out to you there was one uh there is one team from north london uh that kept a clean sheet in a very tough game against a very tough team that has killed quite a few giants and i did send you a voice message acknowledging what arsenal accomplished the 2-0 win against west ham clean sheet two goals how are you feeling 
I did actually mean the Man City seven leads nil, but yeah, let's do Arsenal first. <laughs> no, that actually well, the seven, the Man City seven leads nil. I was just like, holy fuck, they went hard. But then I was also impressed by Arsenal because West Ham are no mugs this season, and you guys made apparently light work of them. I just watched the highlights, didn't watch the full game. How did it go? Okay, let's start with Arsenal. Let's start with Arsenal. Um, yeah, it was really good, really, really good. I feel like it was one of our best if not the best performance of the season i feel like the games where we've played the best have been the leicester game the first half we played really well first half against tottenham we played well the villa game we played well but i feel like this game we played well consistently across the 90 minutes um now before we get into praising arsenal which it's coming um don't worry don't worry it's coming <laughs> we do need to talk about there was a big moment where the game kind of changed and i'm kind of i don't know if you saw it in the highlights but the red card for kufal yeah um for me seemed crazy crazy harsh now i have to say that lacazette is embarrassing when it comes to diving i always remember that game when there was no fans against burnley where all you could hear was him screaming and the person had never touched him like he's really bad with diving he spent most of the game on his back um now i think with this tackle he definitely made the most of it and he was looking for it kufal did make contact but he got the ball first and it was a very good tackle and i feel like now even if you do get the ball if you make any contact with the defender afterwards it's a penalty so at which point are we basically outlawing the slide tackle is that what's happening because unless you can break physics and like change the direction of your body after moving um there's not a lot uh, Kufal, I think it's Sufal, isn't it? Sufal could have done there, really. And I think at a, at a very, very it. severe push, it was a penalty, and it wasn't. For it to be a red card as well, I, like a second yellow and a red, I thought was crazy harsh. What did you think? No, yeah, I just, I just, so did he get a straight red or a second yellow? It was a second yellow. But still, it does not look like a foul because it does a very nice tackle. Now, the thing that is arguable is, does he need to be keeping the leg that high to get the ball? And the answer mm. is probably it doesn't. But then he does get the ball and then he gets Lacazette's shin. Then about Lacazette's like 15 turns on the ground. I don't even want to comment on that. But look, we, we have covered it even in the latest episode. We needed to have a referee on mm-hmm. that will explain. We should, whenever we will have a referee on, we will bring five different situations and be like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. can you explain to us why this is a yellow card? And this might as well be one of them. Yeah, I thought it was, and it was, it was harsh anyway. And it was a moment of the game where West Ham were definitely in the game. Arsenal were doing their classic oh, let's just sit back for no reason and invite pressure. Um, so West Ham were definitely coming into it. And actually, after they went down to 10 men, Arsenal looked more scared than before. And I was more nervous at that point. But I'm going to actually focus on Arsenal now. We did a really good job. They've got one of the better defences in the league and our defence completely bossed it. Uh, I mean, midfield, sorry. They've got one of the best midfields in the league and our midfield completely bossed it. Um Xhaka was a little bit too slow on the ball still. I think he does slow us down a bit too much, but Partey was starting to see him become the player that we know he is. He'll have one game on, one game off, but this was one of his games on. Um, The players that really stood out to me, Bukayo Saka, as always, this kid is just unbelievable. They had three, four players on him at times trying to mark him, and he was finding space. He was had... Like, Masuaku isn't defensively the most solid defender, but Saka basically had full reign of that wing. He is just 
the way he manages to find space for himself, always cutting in onto his other foot, getting balls into the box. I think genuinely like you, listeners of the pod and you know how much I love Bakayo Saka. But I honestly think he's like still underrated. People don't realize how good this kid is. Like when you watch him week in, week out, and okay, he's in an Arsenal side that aren't that like, great. He just stands out head and shoulders above you. Like, this guy is going to go so far. And speaking of young players, Martinelli. Now, we had a few weeks ago, I think on the Monday show, we were talking about why isn't he playing? Why isn't he getting minutes? And I'm going to pat myself on the back slightly. Yeah, our friend Steve Cole said that Mm -hmm. he was being ruined by Mm -hmm. Arteta or something. And I think that that was like a, not to like call out Steve, but I think that was like a common, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of uh, narrative kind of saying that, like, why aren't we seeing seeing this guy? And Arteta genuinely has like just coached him. A line that came out afterwards, um, Arteta said, he has managed to put some gears into his game rather than doing everything at 100 miles an hour. And I think that like sums it up perfectly. Like whenever he came on and whenever he's playing, it was just like blistering pace, just run, run, don't stop running, don't stop running, which is great. But I think now Arteta has taught him when to hold, when to run, when to make moves, when to kind of pass the ball back, when to keep it. And it is, he's becoming an incredibly, incredibly exciting player. His goal it couldn't help but remind me of a Thierry Henry finish. The way he broke the line and then shifted his body weight and put it into the far far corner, I was like, that is Henri-esque. Um, the first touch was very impressive, and it's the only first touch that you can take in that situation because you control it in a different way and the defender catches up to you in a split second. Well, that's it, exactly. And even his acceleration after that touch, because I thought, oh, crap, the, the, the defender's going to catch him. And he, just his acceleration was unreal. And we have to say the assist was from Lacazette, who's another player that I want to talk about. Now, we talked again about how if Aubameyang doesn't score, you get nothing else. With Lacazette, that is what you get. <laughs> he builds up play. He drops deep. He passes. He does all in a kind of... He does more in an all-round way. Um Yes, he missed a penalty, and we've won three penalties this year and missed all of them, which is a problem. We wow. need someone, yeah, we need someone who can step up and kick a ball from 12 yards. So that would be really useful. Um, but I think, like I said, it's the young players in this team that are standing out. The average age of the team is 23 years old, 23.6 years old, I think. And I saw a stat today that 83% of our goals have either been scored or assisted by players that are under 23. And this is something that, again, I keep saying it, we keep talking about it, but the the exciting thing about this Arsenal team is that they are young and where they potentially could go. But the problem is Arsenal are also making me kind of schizophrenic because one week I'm like down in the dumps of like, we are so crap. We've lost to Everton. How has this happened? And then we have a, a, a really encouraging performance. Like, ah, oh my God, we can do it, we can do it. And then we've got Leeds away next and I'm thinking they've just lost 7-0. They're definitely going to beat us. Like we still don't know where we're going to be or what's going to happen next week. But while the wins keep coming, it's pretty exciting. Um, We're in the top four for the first time in 14 months. Um, It's just exciting. and and you overtook you overtook West Ham in the in the standings, mm-hmm. so that was also a big win for that. I would like to shout out to one player since you were talking about youngsters, Lucas Fabianski, 
Um, he's 36 years old, been in the Premier League for as long as I can remember. I just checked and it was actually 15 years ago. This is his 15th season. Mm-hmm. This guy just keeps performing. And uh, he, I don't like, I, I, whenever I watch highlights, I'm just like, he's still there and mm-hmm. he's still making moves. He's a great goalkeeper. I think me and Tom have talked about him a lot. Tom loves him. Um, I've said for a while that outside of like the traditional top six clubs, he's the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, mm-hmm. I think he like genuinely like, West Ham fans will tell you how many points he got them last year um, and I think when he was at Arsenal I thought we made this weird decision of going with Almunia rather than him and I don't know why and I honestly would have kept Fabianski I also would have kept Chesney but we I would have kept Fabianski um, uh, Turns out Arsenal don't like Polish players I don't know <laughs> Yeah 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 we shipped them both out no idea why but um, yeah, Fabianski's been great for years, still going, made, saved a, pe- a great save from a penalty as well. I'm not sure it was the greatest penalty from Lacazette, but it was a really good penalty save. Um, and yeah, I think West Ham, their big problem was that Antonio is, we've said it before, he's their only option up front. And when he's tired, which obviously happens, he just looked knackered and they didn't have an out ball. So every time he got the ball, he either gave it away or couldn't hold on to it. And it just meant that they were constantly penned in their own half. Um, they definitely had a few chances. Four Niles came close in the first half. Like I said, when they went down to 10 men, they were putting more pressure on them when they had 11. So I think we, there was a moment where I was worried about us letting it slip. But then last young player that I'm going to talk about, Emil Defro Smith Rowe comes on. And he just, I think it was Jamie Carragher that said he's with the ball at his feet and space in front of him. He's one of the most terrifying players in the Premier League at the moment. And what he got was he grabbed the ball, shifted onto his left, ran, and just first time shot, bottom corner. Every time he shoots, it seems to go on target. And every time it shoots, it seems to go in. He's like, I think he's our top scorer this year. Um, This is his first like full season playing for us as a starter, as our number 10. Um, the our statistics with him out of the team and with him in the team are ridiculous. Like this kid is another guy who like he was loaned out to Germany for a while. I think it was Leipzig. He was injured. It didn't really happen for him. Uh, went to Huddersfield and people thought, okay, it's probably just going to be like a championship player. We'll see what happens. And then how he's just exploded into the Arsenal team and become so key is honestly mind blowing. Um, but there's a kind of a slight good problem that we have now, which is, who do we play? Like Martinelli, he's in the last two, three games he's played, he's scored in two, right? Assisted. He's got one assist, two assists. But he's in a position that Emil Smith-Rowe would usually be in out on the left, right? Mm-hmm. So do you play him or Smith-Rowe? And then Erdegaard has to play. He's just scored three in four games, right? Or three goals in three games in a row. Like he has to play. Saka's never going to play, like never going to drop. So it's like, man, we've actually got a problem of who we play in attacking midfield. Like, and obviously, with young players, their form is going to go up and down. It is going to dip. But for the moment, things are good. Things are optimistic. And over who, the whole thing is just the drama is not going as long as we're winning, right? And I think that's going to be putting him kind of in his place. By the way, Tommy, I've seen him linked with Inter. So good luck with that one. 
Uh, I saw him linked to Juventus. Um, Juventus, Juventus. Are, are penniless, though, at the moment. So I don't know what kind of contract they could offer him. But we oh, know that we'll Juventus... will pay his wages. Don't worry, Juventus. Oh, we'll true, pay true, true. <laughs> You see, then might as well be the perfect deal. And Juventus can, like, snatch one of their deals. Like, we'll pay you back in 2051 with one of our new youngsters. I don't know. <laughs> I also saw a great rumor. They've been linked with Anthony Martial on loan. <laughs> Mamma mia. Oh, Mamma yeah. mia. But let's keep going with the Prem, Rory. Uh, Man City leads 7 0. Now, big question. Which one was your favorite goal? You can give me maximum two if you remember them all. I just had to rewatch them Mate, very quickly. Before. Honestly, I'm I'm not going to remember the order that they came in. Um, I think the De Bruyne second goal, the one he just absolutely spanks. Um, Agreed. But also the first one he scored because the assist by Rodri is oh. absolutely yeah. spotless. It's perfect. And it's from so far out. Beautiful pass. Beautiful. It beautiful was full pass. on exhibition football from City. There was a point where they were doing, like, literally doing a rondo while Leeds were on the pitch. You know, oh my God, this is getting bad. This is getting really bad. Like, We've said it. City are hitting their gear now. They're hitting that point where they're just going to not... You know, last season, they went on that 23, 24-game winning streak or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. It feels like they're starting to get to that stage of the season where they're just going to be like, win, 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 and just it's everyone else's job to keep up. Now, 7-0 is particularly um, like staggering, but with Leeds, we know that... When they concede goals, they concede goals. Like they never concede one. It's always like four or five or like three. They do tend to like let them in. And twelve again, goals listen, conceded over the last three games. Yeah, four per game. Yeah, it's a lie. It's a lot. Um, it is. <laughs> and I'm kind of torn because I really, really love Bielsa. I really love Bielsa, and I know that Leeds fans love him. And obviously, this isn't going to affect his future. They still—he's still the best manager they could possibly get. Um, but you have to say, like, when you're four, five nil down, why not just try and think right? Just damage limitation now. Let's just not make it because psychologically, for those players. That's going to be pretty bad. And one of the goals, the John Stones goal, when I think Melier saved it three times and John Stones just kept hitting it at him and eventually it went in. Those defenders were completely like shell-shocked by that point. And I feel like once it gets to seven, where, where do you go from there? Like, it, ask Hassan Hull. He's lost 9-0 twice, if you know what I mean. But, like, <laughs> I think, where do you go from here? And what kind of annoyed me the most was, with Bielsa, I think a lot of people really relish when he fails. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that are instantly like, oh, well, at least they play good football, right? At least that, now they've been battered. And it's like, yeah, well, obviously, oh, like, on that one result, yeah, fine. But it's like, do you want to see unadventurous, boring managers? Is that what you want? You want your relegated teams to just try and not lose 1-0 every week? like, Or do you want these managers that push boundaries, play nice football, try and do something different? They might get spanked one week, but he still, last season, was the highest promoted team has ever finished in the Premier League, right? He's still doing an incredible job. And I feel like the relish that some people take when it goes wrong is really irritating. Like, uh, it almost like we told you so. We told you he was crap. We told you he's like 
is just hype. And it's like, I don't know, the relish really kind of annoys me a bit, as you can probably hear. I do. I read his, I read a biography and I just fell in love with him. <laughs> what, what this usually happens after Rory reads a biography, included the one about Adolf Hitler. But we were <laughs> yeah, saying, well, yeah, that's for my <laughs> other part on the dark web. That one's only accessible on the dark web. That's on the, our other podcast where we review <laughs> biographies of, uh, of dictators, 20, exclusively 20 dictators. dictators. Yeah, strictly yeah. dictators. No, very quick question because we still have a lot of ground to cover. I wanted to ask you, has Jack Grealish justified his price tag <laughs> so far this season? He was on the score sheet last night with a header. Pretty strange. Only happens at City. But has he been doing good enough to justify his 100,000... No, yeah, 100 million pound price tag? Short answer, no. But also, he hasn't really started that much it's a classic city thing of like every year they sign a player for a massive amount of money and then they barely play and everyone goes oh it's a flop and then they come in the next year and they're unbelievable i just think it takes time for guardiola to coach the players how they need to play city football he did a great job at villa obviously he was unbelievable at villa but i feel like honestly i feel like guardiola's coaching him um but yeah, for 100 million, you would expect more. You would definitely expect more. Um, he has been underwhelming. Villa fans still hate him. I don't know. I, I, I think it's it's a lot of money, isn't it? It's a lot of money. It's more than most Premier League teams spend in a, in a, in a transfer window. So it and is a maybe, lot of money. And maybe it also takes more than one season to justify that price tag. But mm-hmm. talking about villains, talking about Villa... Steven Gerrard has only lost two games since he's been in charge and his Aston Villa side have never conceded more. Have never, uh, actually, the two games that they've lost, sorry, um, I thought I had a witty stat to bring there. Um, But yeah, except Man City, they've never conceded more than two goals uh, in any other game. Actually, Mm -hmm. in all the other games, at maximum one goal conceded, including in the game against Liverpool. So, Steven Gerrard, we were saying that maybe his first spell at coaching over in Scotland was too easy of a job, Mm -hmm. maybe. But maybe he's actually learned and he's uh, a new manager ready to make a career out of this. What do you think? Well, I think it it says a lot that they've gone from when he took over, they were worried about relegation to now their fans are talking about a push for the top six. Like that is a quick turnaround, right? They're currently on 22 points, sixth place are on 27, so it's definitely not out of the question. Um, Their form has been like win, lose, win, lose, win, but obviously they played City and Liverpool in that time, so you have to be realistic. Yeah, in the six games he's, um, he's managed, they've won four, lost two, scored nine, conceded five, all around just looking a lot more solid, um, a lot more clinical in front of goal. Ollie Watkins is starting to score again. I think just a lot of kind of reasons for optimism at Villa Park. It has to be said that they were playing Norwich, who are basically relegated. And since their manager took over, ex-Villa manager Dean Smith, they've won one, drawn two, lost three, scored three and conceded eight. So really not good reading for them. But these are results that under the end of Dean Smith, they weren't picking up, right? They were losing to teams that they should be beating, and now they're not. So there's definitely been an improvement for Steven Gerrard. He's definitely showing that he is a capable manager, if not a good manager. Um, It'll just be to see where they finish, right, across the season. Because 
with new manager bounce, you never quite know. Um, if they have a setback, you don't know how they're going to respond, but so far, so good. And yeah, Villa are going to be fine. Maybe, maybe pushing for Europe again. I think for them, realistically, like eighth place finish, ninth would be fantastic for them, really. We've got two more games to cover before before you explain to us why games have been postponed, cancelled in the Premier League. Let's start from the from the wolf eating the seagull. Ugh. Oh my God, Brighton! What's going on? They lose one nil at home to Wolverhampton. What can you tell us about this game that was decided by a Sace goal at the forty sixth minute? It was a beautiful goal as well from Sace, a really beautiful goal. But Brighton now 12 without a win. Their next games are United away, Brentford at home, Chelsea away and Everton at home. Top of your head, Tommy, how many points are they getting from those four games? Repeat the game, the teams that they're playing. Uh, Man United away, Brentford at home, Chelsea away and Everton at home. One slash two. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think they'll beat Everton because everybody beats Everton, but I don't, I'm not convinced they'll beat everybody except Arsenal, asterisk. Um, they, <laughs> I, think they, I don't think they beat Brentford and I certainly don't think they beat United and Chelsea. But as we've seen with Brighton, they've kind of turned up in the bigger games. Um, but they're just, it's the classic thing of like, they lose every game by one goal. It's always mm-hmm. one goal in it. It's mm-hmm. one nil, 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 one nil. Like, it's always just that, hair like hair's width away from doing something and obviously as with Brighton I had to look up their xg stats because it's like the law when you talk about Brighton now um last season their xg in general was like 1.8 per game so they were kind of creating enough chances to get two goals a game this year is all the way down to 1.33 so it's like barely getting enough chances for one goal their chance creation has gone down their chance conversion rate has gone down they're down to like seven percent whereas it was 11 percent last year when people were laughing at them their conversion rate was 11 percent. now it's seven percent right so it feels like their attacking threat is kind of reducing even further and for brighton that is definitely a problem for wolves it's another case of there's always one goal in it but they seem to be finding themselves on the right side of it. Again, they don't score many. They don't concede many. There's a lot of one nils. There's a lot of like two ones. There was that one mad game, which was three, two against Villa, but mostly it's like they're averaging two goals a game, like across both teams. So two teams that aren't creating goals, of course it ended one nil. And if you want to open the calendar and check the last time that Brighton and Hove Albion have won a game in the Premier League, you would have to page through all the way back to September. The day, the 19th, when they won 2-1 over Leicester. Since then, a whole lot of draws and the three defeats, which if you think about it's the not that bad. Time, it's <laughs> yeah. not that bad. So again, again, we are kind of disappointed by the goal. We are not disappointed by Graham Potter because no. we know that he he's doing what he, he's doing his job and yeah. uh, it the better days will come. But Brighton and Hove Albion's fans, Remember, only three defeats since uh, September 19th. That's not bad at all. I'm pretty That's sure many... Arsenal have lost more games in that time. I'm pretty you sure. <laughs> you see? Beautiful. So, you see, there's always a silver lining. And then a draw for Mr. Patrick Vieira. 2-2 against the Southampton. Did you watch the game? 
Um, I saw the highlights. Selhurst Park is becoming a bit of a fortress. They really are making it a difficult place to go. They are now sixth in the home table, winning three, drawing five, and losing only one at home. Selhurst Park, we know that the atmosphere is fantastic, and they are making it more and more difficult to go there. Um, So after three straight defeats... Crystal Palace finally are now unbeaten in two, obviously winning last weekend against Everton and now beating Southampton. Not um, drawing against Southampton. Sorry, drawing against Southampton. And yeah, Patrick Vieira, we've said this again, with Crystal Palace, they're going to be up and down. They're going to win one, lose one, draw one, win one, lose one, draw one. But I'm just happy that he's making Selhurst Park a difficult place to go to. And it's somewhere that I will not be looking forward to Arsenal visiting because we do tend to struggle there. But Patrick Vieira having a great time. Conor Gallagher, as always, killing it. Just a really nice, another young, exciting team to watch that play good football in the Premier League. And the only defeat for Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park came against? Was it us? No. no We've not played was, him yet. It was a Steven Gerrard, of course. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bloody Steven hell. Gerard. There we go. Just, uh, just two weeks ago. Indeed. And the listeners, by the time you'll be listening to this, you will know the results of Chelsea Everton and the Liverpool Newcastle. Of course, we're recording on a Thursday night before these kickoffs. But Rory, Leicester Tottenham cancelled. Burnley Watford cancelled. Brentford Manu cancelled. What's going on, bud? Um, this Premier, the Premier League's approach to this is honestly quite impressive. The lack of willingness to have a defined plan is like is is genuinely commendable. Um, I've no idea what the threshold is for a game to be cancelled or not. Um, obviously, I'm not going to go off on an Arsenal rant again, but we did have five players missing, forced to play the game. Some teams had four players missing, were forced to play. Um, so I remember Liverpool had a game in the cup last year where they just had to play reserve players because they had no players fit. Um, but now that's enough to get it called off and then other games on. And I think just what we need is a threshold number of either squad players, support staff or both. And like once it hits this number, that's the balancing point. The game's cancelled. If this constant kind of judging each case on merit, what it does is it means that a lot of fans are buying tickets, buying travel, paying for hotels. Then the game's cancelled by the Premier League. And of course, the hotel doesn't give a shit if the Premier League game's cancelled. The train doesn't give a shit if the, if the Premier League game's cancelled. You can't get your money back. So fans are losing money. And also, for the players, everything organisationally, it would take one meeting, I imagine, to write down and come up with a rule of this is the threshold. And the fact they haven't done it yet is a it, it, it is confusing, but it kind of, without going into politics, it goes in line with the UK's general approach to COVID, I think. But um, yeah, it's just, we need some clarity because yeah, it's getting confusing. But on a plus side, I think, you know, Serie A want to kick out Salernitana. Tottenham apparently don't want to play in the Premier League. We can just switch the teams, finally get Tottenham out of the Premier League. We'll take Salernitana. Both solve each other's problem. I think that's quite a nice result, right? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and I was just going to say one thing. Uh, in case you're wondering, in case you're not from the UK and you're wondering about the trains in the UK, they are bloody fucking expensive. So yeah, you were mad. talking. <laughs> dude, I remember we were at, it was in Liverpool in, uh, well, years ago. I was in Liverpool and we were buying a trip back to London. And I was like, how much is it going to be? Like, 
it's just a train. You know, in Italy, they're not that expensive. Yeah, Holy yeah. shit. When they told me the price, I was like, not round trip, only one way. And she was like, yeah, 75 pounds. I was like, holy fuck. Mate, I've just, <laughs> I've just had to pay 100 pounds for two tickets to go from Manchester to Liverpool on a slow train that takes three and a half hours. Like, honestly, yeah. God, British trains. <laughs> I'm not getting it. No politics. I'm not complaining about Britain. Let's go. Let's jump over to the Bel Paese, the beautiful country where Coppa Italian round of 32 is taking place this very week on Tuesday night. So how does it work in Italy? There is basically a bracket. Um, there is basically a bracket. The Serie A teams, the top Serie A teams, they come in later in the bracket to give a chance to the smaller teams, to the smaller teams in quotation marks to advance now how is it going venezia on uh, tuesday night they won against ternana 3-1 um udinese defeated crotone 4-0 and uh, our friend nicolo zanellato that plays fantasy football with us was in the pitch he was subbed at the 40th minute of the first half nicolo this is what happens when you refuse to come on the pod yeah get subbed bad off. karma bad karma we will turn your career around i promise <laughs> <laughs> Come over, dude. There are people from, there are managers from all over Europe listening to us. And this is the big news. Andriy Shevchenko gets his first W ever since getting the job at Genoa. And he does so against an extremely tough side to beat this season. Salernitana. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> They're just dishing out the three points, dishing them out. <laughs> and it wasn't exactly a walk in the park. Um, they scored at the 76th minute, goal by a Cuban. I bet it felt like taking a dump after three days of constipation. <laughs> so good job for you, Andre. And hopefully this can turn uh, Genoa's fate around for the rest of the season. Always in the round of 32. This was a very thrilling game. Elas Verona 3, Empoli 4. Now, guys, Empoli, we've already said it. Two of our favorite teams. Two of our favorite teams this season. Indeed. So, Empoli take the lead at the 15th minute with uh, La Mantia. Then, just three minutes later, uh, Verona equalize. And then, it's a Verona show. They go up 2-1, 3-1, 4-1. And then, in the matter of two minutes, the result is again 3-4. So the dying minutes of this game were super intense, but in the end, Empoli managed to snatch the win. Cagliari also able to get a win with a Serie B side, the Cittadella. Um, they scored the three, three, so they won 3-1. And Fiorentina also advanced with uh, a bunch of second string players. Mainly, the goals were by Milenkovic and Sotil, and they ended up winning 2-1 against Benevento. Of course, again, we are recording on a Thursday. You will know the final results of Spezia Lecce and Sampdoria Torino, but as of now, at the 57th minute, Lecce are leading away from home 2 0 at Spezia. Wow, nice. Oh, finally, all the other results were kind of expected, even for Genoa and Cagliari. Uh, This one is the first (laughs) upset, it feels like. By the way, guys, uh, Lecce and Bari have incredible, incredible fan bases. Mm -hmm. Um, These are, so so there are these historical Serie B teams, like lower division teams, 
that are just a massive uh, gathering of supporters. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the images from Spezia. Uh, I think there are quite a lot of supporters that follow them all the way there. Shall we stay in Italy and preview these uh, weekend's clashes, Rory? Let's do it. It all kicks off today, listeners, on Friday, Friday night. Actually, quite early, 6.30. Two teams that, uh, well, one needs to finally find their form and the other desperately need points not to be relegated. At 6.30, it kicks off in Rome, Lazio, Genoa. Now, Lazio are one of the most inconsistent, inconsistent, inconsistent top sides I've seen recently. Uh, They are currently on ninth position at 25 points, seven wins, four draws, and six losses. Over the past five games, they've uh, won one, drawn two, and lost two against Napoli and Sassuolo. Apparently, Sarri spent one hour and a half after the defeat to Sassuolo in the morning, no training, They went there, reviewed the game, and apparently he called out every single player who made every single mistake on the pitch. Uh, However, uh, Lotito, this is a typical Italian thing. If you guys have followed our chats with Luca, when things get really bad, the president of the team goes to the training ground to kind of scold the players. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Lotito is a president that loves doing this type of shit. This time around, apparently, he said, I have maximum trust in Sarri and I know that he will deliver the message for me. What uh, I was reading an article in the newspaper uh, this morning. What it is very really inter- menacing. Sorry, it sounds really menacing. Yeah, what is very interesting is that apparently <laughs> Sarri went hard with these guys. And the next evening, they had the Lazio Christmas party and they all generally looked like they were having a great time. So I, it just feels like all kind of strange at Lazio this season. But yes, Lazio trying to be consistent again and Genoa desperately looking for a win. Right now, they've got both penalty taker Crescito and Mattia Destro back. It only took Mattia Destro 10 minutes coming back from injury to score his first goal. So this might as well be an exciting game to watch. And then what could be a little less exciting to watch is Salernitana Inter at 8.45. Do you think it could be a Man City Leeds type of score? I don't know if they do that in Italy, really. Don't isn't there usually an agreement to stop after five or something? Isn't there usually nah, like a let's just call know. it quits? I don't know. Like looking at the intensity with which Inter played against the Cagliari last week, I don't think they're gonna stop. Mm. Maybe if they hit six or seven, they will. But otherwise, I think it could. But I think honestly, it could be Salernitano uh, banging trouble. Eh? <laughs> but look, right now I'm just sounding. <laughs> I did I'm hear that sounding... Sanchez is gonna start though, so you're in trouble, Salernitana. I'm just I'm just sounding smug right now. Look, with all respect to Salernitana, they are not doing well, and that's an understatement. Um, they have won only one game this season against Venezia on, you know, at the end of October. The rest has all been losses except the draw to Cagliari. I don't expect anything but a very convincing Inter win, but football is football, and we never know. Maybe Salernitana even managed to score one goal. Then on Saturday... 3 p.m., ladies and gentlemen. This kind of a surprise because usually these big games are at night time. But Atalanta-Roma at 3 p.m. How do we feel about this one? Atalanta, we've already covered it in the pod. We do believe they are serious contenders for this year title. 
this year's title al- alongside Inter Milan. And the Roma, uh, Roma have won two consecutive games, uh, one in the Conference League against Sofia, 3-2 away from home. And the latest that was played on Monday night was 2-0 against Spezia, with goals by centre-backs Smalling and Ibanez. Rory, predictions about Atalanta-Roma? You never know what form of Roma is going to turn up, but I'm going to say Atalanta get the job done pretty handedly here. I think this is going to be another um, humbling night for Mourinho, I think. It might as well be. I kind of agree with you. Bologna-Juventus at 6pm. We know that the Bianconeri are keen to making a smile this year. So... Is this going to be another upset? Bologna are not a bad team at all. They've had their best, uh, their best start to Serie A that they'd had since the early 2000s. And apparently, uh, Sinisa Mihailovic was fuming after the defeat to Torino. And he said that they're not, going, uh, they're not going to underperform this time around. And when Mihailovic says that, it sounds kind of intimidating. Mm-hmm. And then at 8.45, always on Saturday, we've got Cagliari-Udinese. Let's move on to Sunday very quickly, where we've got a lunchtime match at 12.30, Fiorentina-Sassuolo, followed by Spezia-Empoli at 3 p.m. At 6 p.m., we've got Sampdoria-Venezia, then Torino-Ellas-Verona, and the big, big, big one is on Sunday night at 8.45, Milan against Napoli. Now, Napoli are already in fourth position. Yes, life comes at you pretty fucking quick. (laughs) Napoli are in fourth position at the moment. So they are below Inter, Milan and Atalanta. But if Atalanta also win against Roma, AC Milan will be feeling the pressure because they will be all of a sudden third. And so both teams will be like, oh shit, we must win this game. There are rumors that Victor Osiman might as well start this game with a special mask designed, of course, by, by a Swiss engineer slash doctor. Uh, well, I, I thought you were going to say Armani. I really thought you were going to say Armani. Armani? No, 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 no. No, no, no. Of course, designed, designed by a, a Swiss doctor. I don't know what he does, but I, I saw it like a quote-unquote, of how the mask is going to work. I was like, holy shit, they put a lot of effort in this. AC Milan probably cannot start Ibrahimovic, but his replacement, French youngster Olivier Giroud, might be the starter for the Rossoneri. An exciting, exciting game that every Inter and Atalanta fan hopes that will end in a draw. And that's it for the Serie A. Rory, what have we got in the Premier League? In the Premier League, well, as things stand, the schedule stands at this, right? (laughs) I don't know. Honestly, they could have already been cancelled, listeners. It's hard to keep up. I'm going to preview them anyway, so let's go. Um, It starts on Saturday, and I'm going to do UK time, guys, so set your clocks back. Um, It starts on Saturday at 3 o'clock. We have Southampton versus Brentford. Southampton really bang out of form. It looked for a moment like they were going to drag themselves out of this relegation battle, but they're being dragged back in quite rapidly. Brentford kind of starting to pick up a few wins again, only lost one in the last five. I think Brentford at home against Southampton, they should get the job done. Then we have Watford taking on Crystal Palace. Claudio Ranieri 
Honestly, I think he could be sacked pretty soon. They are in terrible form, and we know that Watford love sacking managers. Um, as we said, Patrick Vieira is getting Crystal Palace back on the horse. Can they get another three points here at Vicarage Road? I'm going to say yes, they can. Then again on Saturday at 3 o'clock, West Ham against Norwich City. The perfect game for West Ham to get themselves back into winning ways. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they stick with the same lineup, if they change, because a lot of the players did look a bit knackered. West Ham do have a lot of defenders missing. I think three of their main back four are out injured, so they are looking a bit ropey at the moment. But I think they should be able to get a win over Norwich, who look doomed as ever. Then on Saturday, again at three o'clock, we have the Battle of the Claret and Blues. Aston Villa taking on Burnley. Burnley banging trouble in the relegation zone on 11 points, still two points behind Watford. Um, They, again, Burnley are a difficult team to play. They've got four draws in their last five, four draws and lost one. So again, if they can just start turning these draws into wins, get that odd goal that we're used to them getting, that odd set piece going in, that Chris Wood flick on header. If they can start getting that rubber the green again, I think they've got enough to stay uh, to keep themselves up. But as we said, Aston Villa reformed under Steven Gerrard, only lost two games. And I think this is not going to be added to the loss list, as I think Villa should probably do this. Late on Saturday at half past five, Arsenal travel to Elland Road. Leeds fresh off a 7-0 battering. Who better to face the next game than the slump busters Arsenal? So we will see how this one goes. Um, Arsenal's home form, we are joint top in the league next to Man City on 22 points. Away form, we are down in 16th. (laughs) Our away form is terrible. And this is why I'm worried about the game. For Leeds, we know exactly how they're going to play. We know what they're going to do. I think their intensity could cause us problems. Um, Then going to Sunday, two teams that people think are better than they are. On Sunday at midday, we have Everton taking on Leicester City. These are two teams that were meant to be trying to break the top four, meant to be getting into the top six, pushing for Europe. Let me tell you their positions. Everton are 14th and Leicester are ninth. Not that bad, but a lot lower than you'd expect them to be. Leicester only getting two wins in their last five. Everton, one win in their last five. Yes, you know who it was against. I think <laughs> I think Leicester are going to add another little green tick to their form in this one, though. Then on Sunday at 2 o'clock, we have Wolves, taking on Chelsea, Chelsea full-on wobbling. I think, like, it really is, it started off as, like, you know when you're riding a bike and you get a little bit of a, like, your handlebars start shaking? Yeah. And then it's like a wobble. And then before you know it, it's all over the place. I feel like Chelsea are at a key point where they just need to steady it a little bit. Can I say one thing about Chelsea? Their stats before this little slump, their stats uh, before this little slump were absolutely insane for Mm. Thomas Tuchel. I think this is physiological. Like This is just what happens when you play a lot of football. You win some games, you lose some others, you keep a lot of clean sheets, and sometimes you concede a lot of goals. Because the stats, like we've covered it thoroughly on the pod. They were just insane, and right now it just feels like a, a normal team again. But the problem for them is that they've not been able to start the same defense for the past four games. <laughs> Their back three has been different every single game. And I feel like this is really co- really causing them problems. Like we know that they were based on defensive solidity, right? They didn't they didn't concede goals, therefore you can't lose games, right? And now they're having to bring in 
Christensen or is it Chalaba or is it Aspilicueta or is it and just moving around, moving around, moving around. It means that there's that, that stability is kind of gone a little bit. And I think that's where the problems are coming from. We've seen, we've talked about how many they've conceded over the last couple of games. For Wolves, as I said, they do not concede goals. They do not score goals. I think this is going to be quite a close tight game we saw that Wolves only lost 1-0 to Liverpool and 1-0 to City I think they're gonna frustrate Chelsea again as I said Chelsea have kind of been struggling in the last couple of games not being as convincing I think this could be the kind of upset of the weekend then at quarter past two really bizarre game really bizarre time I was gonna tell you it's like my I remember when my sister studied abroad in the US her school started at 807 every day and i was like is that a joke and she was like no the bell rings at 807 i was like what why not 10 why not five why not not eight (laughs) (laughs) so at quarter past two on a sunday that traditional kickoff time life gets much much harder for newcastle as they welcome Man City fresh off a 7-0 run. I would call Can they sick. beat their score? Can if they I beat played, their score? If I, beat, if I played for Newcastle, I would call in sick. Hey, guys, like, yeah. I, I think I have a cold today. Uh, uh, it's COVID. Not... COVID. No, just trust me. I've got COVID. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like... Cancel the game now. <laughs> so City go down to St. James's Park. That's going to be a cricket score. So moving on. The last game of the weekend. Should if it be. plays, Should I don't know if it's be. been cancelled. Has it been cancelled? Not half yet, not yet. I just checked, not yet. At half past four on Sunday, we should get Tottenham versus Liverpool, which is actually going to be a fascinating game. I don't know if Conte and Klopp have faced off. Have they managed against each other before? I would have to check that. Off the top of my head, I do not recall Juventus. Well, Inter- Playing Dortmund, maybe? Mm. No, nah, I don't think so. I don't think under Antonio Conte, it would have to be... I'm going to just talk to you guys while Rory checks the stat. I'm uh, Look, I'll just say one thing. Uh, I need to give Rory a little praise because we were answering a question from a fan, I think on our Monday show, that asked, do you think the Premier League is on another level compared to all the other leagues? And I said, probably, but, you know, the, United, the Premier League is kind of a unique model of football. And Rory said that the Bundesliga is very similar. When you think about it, Two very uh, successful Bundesliga managers are doing great in the Premier League in uh, Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel. So, yeah, it's. I don't think... I think that actually for a German manager, the best place to move to manage is England. Rory, I'm running out of things Antonio to Conte, they've played... <laughs> they've faced each other four times. I can't tell you in what games. They've won one each and drawn two. Uh, so it's completely even. So we will see all that. And it's a draw. The American fans will be fuming. But this could be a really good game. Tottenham against Liverpool. We'll see how many Tottenham players are fit. Liverpool, probably going to win. But I think that's definitely the game of the weekend. What do you think? Klopp versus Conte, what do you expect? I think Klopp. Klopp. Easy win for Klopp. Not because he's better than Conte, but with this Conte's been at Tottenham too little. I don't think they've quite mm. assimilated his style yet. Of course, as always, I was speaking in Central European time and Rory was speaking in UK time. Just to keep it interesting. Just to keep it interesting, guys. But before we go to the weekly topic, Tommy, I know that you and we wanted to talk a little bit of AFCON and talk about, well, we've talked about Klopp and it could have been a smoother segue, but here we are. Klopp's (laughs) comments 
about the AFCON have really upset people. Now, what he said was, we have the matter, the little, the matter of a little tournament in January. Now, what I I'm torn as to what whether it was like a mistranslation, like or not mistranslation, whether he kind of got the phrase wrong or whether it's been misinterpreted. Because you know you can say the phrase of like, oh, just the little matter of, and then it's like this huge deal, right? I don't know if he was trying to say that phrase and got it wrong or if he was genuinely being condescending to the tournament, but it's definitely been taken the second way. Now, I don't know what you thought of that comment or how did you interpret it? Now, I just read it, so okay. I don't know if there is an original clip where he's mm-hmm. interviewed and he actually says it because that would solve a lot of our doubts. The surprising thing is that I've never heard Jurgen Klopp say something controversial before. Mm. Am I right? He's not the type. He's always like, when he was asked about COVID, I really liked his answer. He was just like, mm-hmm. I am a football manager. Why are you asking me about a global <laughs> pandemic? Like, ask the fucking experts. Like, this is pointless. This is the state of our world, even. He seems mm-hmm. even as a wiser man than most men in football, like a person yeah. with a bigger culture and everything. That's why when I read the quote, I was like, Klopp said this? Now, the, the in general, the attitude towards the AFCON is very bad. It's like, oh, it's like this thorn on my hip that, like, mm. it's going to come and some of our players are going to leave and everything. It's just a pain in the ass. It's a fucking continental competition. Mm. Like, we praise the Euros and the Copa America so much. Why is AFCON a pain in the ass? Yes, it's played at a very inconvenient time of the year, but at the same time... For Europe. For Europe. It's inconvenient for Europe. For Europe, it's true. It's a very European... But at the same time, Europe is the football continent, if Mm -hmm. you want. It's the... The, the the continent that created that invented the sport and where the sport has the most following i would say however mm-hmm. asia is probably right behind um but yeah i don't know look it's it's just awful the treatment that they're getting and it feels like there have been like these questions by journalists to players african players like mm-hmm. so what do you think about the AFCON? Are you excited to leave? And the best answer I've heard so far was very plain, but very right by Zambo Anguissa. That was just like, look, am I sad to leave my teammates behind in a Scudetto chase? Yes. Do I want to play for my national team and try to win a comp- continental competition? 100%. So I'm sorry, but I have to go. Like, there's no way around it. It's almost as if the journalists wanted them to say something like, no, I wish I could stay in Naples and like win the Scudetto. Why wouldn't they want to go there and play? Now, there has been a lot of controversy around this edition of the uh, FCON, not only because of COVID worries, but especially because it's going to be held in Cameroon and there is an ongoing civil war, which I tried to go deeper in this very afternoon, but I don't feel quite as prepared to talk about it yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I spent some time on the Wikipedia page that talked about this, uh, this civil war that has been going on. And as always, Wikipedia pages are very thorough, plenty of hyperlinks, and I got only through the first paragraph because there were so many things, so much previous history that I needed to explore. And I realized how much just how much of an overlooked continent Africa mm-hmm. is. 
and it's very, very sad. In 2021, there are still people that when you tell them, tell me a country as a teacher, trust me, I know. No, it happens all the time. Tell me a country that you would like to visit, Africa. You (laughs) motherfucker. Africa is one of the biggest continents that there is out there. It is not a country. There is a plurality of cultures plurality of languages plural plural what a difficult world it is a difficult world multitude of cultures and everything and it deserves more respect and i just think that it's awful that everybody's just trying to rip on this international competition this is my two cents on the matter i think i think i think you're absolutely right and a lot of the narrative is like why it's just assuming that European football is more important. And it's mm-hmm. more important to European people, but just assuming that it should be more important to people from Africa is just ridiculous. Like you said, they they are there to represent their country, to try and win the biggest tournament on their continent, like a, a tournament with a great history. I fucking love the Afghan. I can't wait. I'm glad they didn't cancel it, even though it could be incredibly uh, controversial. I'm glad it's still going ahead because I love to watch football. Um, but yeah, I think it's... Yeah, the the attitude in general from a lot of journalists has been really disgusting. And just to finish with the Klopp thing, you're right. I was surprised because I tend to agree with him on his politics and on what he says outside of the game. I tend to agree. And that's why when I read it, and I think maybe heard it, maybe I read it, but when I did read the comment, I thought I, I sided with, oh, it must, that's not what he meant, right? Because of what he said in the past and what his track record has been on certain issues. I think he is very good and very like inclusive, open. He's very German, right? He's a very German guy. True. Um, and I, so I, I was kind of surprised by the comment. But look, we're going to be, thankfully, I tweeted Tommy like, mate, they might cancel the tournament. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, but thankfully they haven't. So we're still going to be covering it. We have a pretty exciting guest coming on who's an AFCON expert, I'm going to say, who's going to get involved. He's going to be coming on the show, talking to us. So it's going to be exciting, guys. It's exciting times. We are still going to be covering it. And just to wrap it up before we jump to a very exciting wiki topic, I wanted to say that from what I can understand so far about the civil war, it's a civil war based on language. The two languages are English and French which are original from the countries of England and France, which are not in Africa. They're in Europe. So it's the usual narrative of Europeans fucking shit up in another continent. Then shit unfolds, and it's the other people problem, the people who live in that country. So this is civil war. If it's undergoing, it might as well be because we kind of colonized an entire continent. And when things got scary, we were just like, whoop, we're out of here. Um, luckily, classic Europeans. We're done. Class, classic <laughs> Europeans. Luckily, as an Italian, I'm very glad that our country sucks at fighting wars. And we were never <laughs> able to establish uh, long-lasting colonies in Africa. This helps a lot my white guilt. Uh, I know it's not the same for my co-host, <laughs> Rory Criscolo. But this is, this is for another podcast. This is for another episode. I promise I will look more into this uh, uh, civil war issue. And by the time we'll start covering the AFCON, we will have a better picture of everything that goes on in the African continent. But now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to dedicate our 30 minutes, or maybe a little more, or maybe a little less, of the weekly topic to one of football's greats who unfortunately had to say goodbye to to football ahead of time. We are talking, of course, about Sergio Aguero. 
finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! And even not being a City fan, that clip kind of weirdly gives me goosebumps. Um, here we are. We are here to talk about the great man, Sergio Kun Aguero. Tommy, listening to that clip, what are your memories? Where were you? Your first thoughts that come when you uh, think of this tiny maestro? Very quickly. Um, back in the day, I had started dating an American girl who was living in Italy, and uh, we were taking a holiday before she departed for the United States to go back there and live. So you can imagine that uh, for both of us, they, the emotions that we were feeling were pretty intense. You know, we had been together for eight months and she was about to leave. And so we decided to book a beautiful little holiday in Ventotene, a beautiful island off the coast of Rome. And our anniversary was on May 13th, the day that that game was played. As you imagine, on May 13th, which was our sixth month anniversary, we Ooh, went out. Hey. I was not allowed to watch any football. We went out. We had a beautiful dinner. And the next morning, while she was preparing me the best breakfast ever, I just like start reading newspaper articles about that game and like important journalists calling it the craziest ending to a season to ever uh, be had. And so I started watching highlights of the game. Like I remember it was a clip, extended highlights, like 35 minutes. And I was just like so in the zone when I was watching the last 10 minutes of play that I got in an argument with her. And I was just like, look, 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 Amy, it's not that I'm not acknowledging you, but look at what happened. So that is my memory. Did you watch the game live? I did. I did. I love that. Um, I watched the game next to my Man United supporting uncle, which was, mm. <laughs> mwah, it was beautiful. So we were sat in the house watching the game and obviously Sky Sports were doing the switching from Sunderland to Manchester, Sunderland to Manchester. And uh, obviously Man United had already won the game. My uncle was sat there kind of rather smugly going up. Oh, another United title, kind of giving us a little bit of a dig about supporting Arsenal and, oh, don't worry, you'll get there one day. Blah, blah, blah. And then we see the kind of play building. We see the play building and I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. And he's like, no, no, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. And then you see the desperation kind of getting in his voice. Like, nothing's going to, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. That ball from Balotelli, Aguero smashes it in. And honestly, for that... 30 seconds a minute, I was a City fan and I went absolutely mental, jumping up and down, screaming. It was incredible. That moment of like, because it was Man United as well and everybody who supports, who everyone who doesn't support Man United hates Man United. I think the whole country was celebrating that goal except the red part of Manchester. Just an incredible moment and like genuinely, yeah, the best Premier League moment ever, I think. And can I tell you, when I was watching last night, you can find a video on YouTube. It's uh, called, I think, Man City QPR, last 10 minutes of the game. Watch the last 10 minutes of the game. I will say it right now because this episode is on Kun Aguero and you don't, we don't want to get too distracted. But Mario Balotelli was having a hell of a game. He was dropping back, uh, contrasting the attackers, and uh, he assisted. That was probably his best assist ever. He assisted Sergio Aguero in an historical play that meant 
Manchester City were winning their first ever Premier League title. One thing about that clip, man, it made me look. I'm not exaggerating. When I finished watching that clip, I was like, that was 10 years ago. God, no, so much stuff so. has happened since. But also watching the players, man, and Mancini. Mancini still looks like, a, you know, he still looks pretty young, but mm-hmm. he, he's aged too. And the excitement on his face, he was just like, holy fuck. Mancini has always had a, spot, a soft spot for England and the English football. And for him to be the manager that gave Man City their first title, I think it was almost as big as an emotion as winning the European Championship with Italy this summer. But we decided to start with this moment because when you think of Aguero, you think of Aguero. I need to quickly, quickly before we move in, jump in. Uh, just a, another thing I noticed watching that clip again is everybody's going absolutely mental. And then there's just a quick shot of Colo Torre in a jacket, just kind of chilling, just nodding his head like, okay, okay, nice. And as the whole world loses their mind, he's just like smiling on his own. I was like, classic Colo Torre. You love to see it. But we can move on. Another thing that was very impressive to see was uh, Samir Nasri that didn't look like a gas station manager, but actually Uh, like a proper football player. But he was actually decent. We decided to start from this moment because when you think of Aguero, you think of that. But Aguero's history is much more than that. And it starts back in the day in Argentina. He was born in 1988, which makes it very sad because he's still only 33 years old and he could still have a run uh, at football. But Rory, take us through his beginnings at Independiente. All uh, one of the, sorry, one of the important things that I found on the internet is that he was the youngest player to debut in Argentina's Primera División at 15 years and 35 days. This happened on the 5th of July, 2003. Exactly. And it was a record previously set by Diego Armando Maradona, right? So this was a guy like Sergio Aguero, when he came through, he was a player that people were always, always excited about. Even internationally, um, him and Messi coming through in the same international, like that Argentina generation that won the world, the under 20 World Cup twice is a ridiculous generation. Um, but him growing up alongside Messi, like we know him and Messi are like best friends. Um, Messi is very close to the family, like we know that they're very, very close. But he came through at Independiente and almost straight away he became like a really like he came on very young then there was a few manager changes and there was a couple of months between the first his first and second game but then once the i think it was the third manager came in he started giving Sergio more time and started to kind of encourage him he scored his first goal for Independiente in a two-all draw against the Estudiantes on the 26th of November with a 22nd minute shot from outside the penalty area and there was another goal for Independiente i think this season where he the story was his manager said to him, they were, I think it was a draw. They were, they were were level. And the manager said to him, if you go on now, I will buy you a beef barbecue sandwich. If you go on now and score. So Aguero goes on, picks up the ball in his own half, dribbles around the entire defense, sticks it bottom corner. goes crazy. Does the thing swinging his shirt around his head, kind of foreshadowing the Manchester city goal and then screams at the manager. Where's my barbecue sandwich? Um, So he like kind of really started to get his name at Independiente there. And I saw videos, sorry, of like the fans absolutely adored him already. There was a whole stand with the banner 
with just the their stadium and just Kun Aguero written over it. Um, they had a popular Argentinian pop song that they like twisted to fit his name. Like they went crazy for him. His impact was fast and intense. I was going to ask you, what do you think was Sergio's reaction this year when he saw Mourinho gifting a pair of Balenciaga shoes to his player because that was their agreement? <laughs> so from barbecue sandwich to Balenciaga shoes. I just got the kind of uh, notorious thing of like, shit's done changed. Like times yeah, change, yeah, yeah. like times change. What a different world. But And also watching these clips, I realized how quickly cameras improved. Christ alive. It was like watching Lego men playing football, some of those True. clips. It was terrible. Um, but obviously, he had this incredible start in Dependiente. During the 05-06 season, Aguero scored 18 goals in 36 league appearances, um, having missed two games due to suspension because he did slap a player in the face. <laughs> and Beautiful. Got- and got uh, and end up getting sent off. So that caused him a bit of problem. But all this kind of media attention, all this hype, eventually caught the eye of the European leagues. And of course, he was destined for bigger things. Now, in 2006, Aguero moved to La Liga to Atletico Madrid. Now, what I found fascinating was, I didn't know whether it was a classic Lukaku line or whether he actually meant it, but in the press conference, he said, as a child, I always dreamed of playing for Atletico. Now, I'm not denigrating Atletico. They're a huge club, right? And they do have Argentinian ties, but maybe I just think they have Argentinian ties now because of Aguero and Simeone. I don't know if they always did, but do you think he dreamed of playing for Atletico? I don't think it's out of the question. It just struck me as strange. I don't think he did. <laughs> no, I think, right? Is it a Lukaku thing? I don't know. I think he dreamt of playing for uh, River Plate or Boca Juniors. I don't know which side he probably supported. But when you think about Europe, you either dream, I think, as a little kid that grows up in South America, number one would probably be Real Madrid yeah, back in the day. Yeah. Because Barcelona was not the powerhouse that we know today. Mm. Or... Manchester United. I yeah. think those are yeah, the two yeah, teams. yeah. It, it struck me as strange. So in 2006, he of course moved to Atletico, where he was managed by Kike Sanchez, better known for his incredible stint at Watford, where he would of course win. Now the major major silverware he would win whilst at Atletico, in as well as getting him into the top four and their most successful seasons for a very long time at Atleti, he would of course win the Europa League against Fulham in the final where he assisted both the goals for Diego Forlan. Now, this is like a real golden period for um, Aguero's performances in terms of like partnerships. And what I noticed is that he's always had strong partnerships with who he played with. Now, with the players he scored the most goals with within his career, um, Diego Forlan, he has 37 goal involvements. So either assisted or assisted each other, right? The player with the most was, I think, no surprise, is kind of David Silva on 44. And then Lionel Messi in 18 is kind of all the way down there. But Diego Forlan is the first strike partner that he got in Europe where he really started making headlines. Now, um, we're going to backtrack his story at Atletico a little bit, but don't you think this is a super old-school thing, Forlan and Aguero up front? We don't see that that much anymore. But strikers with similar characteristics playing up front together, two pure number nines, we could say, mm-hmm. playing up front together, we see it less and less. 
The problem when he joined Atletico, problem, definitely not for the Atletico fans, was that there was the competition of a certain El Nino Torres. Mm -hmm. So he didn't get a super regular uh, start every game the first year that he was at Atletico, but he was patient. And in 2007, when Torres moved to Liverpool, at that point, he became the focal point of the team. And in 2007-2008, he was already the third highest goal scorer in La Liga. And he helped Atletico qualify for, the, for their first uh, UEFA Champions League in over 10 years. So definitely moving to Spain and making a statement. And in 2008 and 2009, he, that's the year when he started often uh, alongside uh, Forlan. And they had a standout game, a 4-3 win against Barcelona, where they both had a brace. And Sergio Aguero was already rehearsing for that QPR game and he scored the last-minute winner. In 2010-2011, it was the first season in Spain where he managed to get as many as 20 goals. Uh, That was the first time of his career. And then on 2011, on the 21st of May, after having won, as Rory said, uh, UEFA Europa League, but also a UEFA Super Cup against now, do Inter you, Milan. Do you remember and, this game? Not at all. Not no, at okay, all. Right. And it was for Inter Milan fans after uh, the, we won the Champions League. There was like a daze, a one-year daze mm. that definitely reflected on the pitch as well. <laughs> <laughs> definitely reflected on the pitch as well. And, you know, we go out as European champions and we play the Europa League winners and we lost 2-0. And, of course, he scored and assisted against Inter Milan. But on 21st May 2011, he played his last game against Mallorca. They won 4-3. And look, this was the first hat-trick of his career. And it also marked his 100th goal for the Colchoneros. So... A goodbye that wasn't very expected because he had just renewed his contract. But he didn't celebrate for any of the goals in this game. And so the fans started feeling like something was off. Then it became public that he was moving to Manchester City. But the Atletico Madrid fans were very nice to him. And when he left, they unveiled the banner that said, Sergio Aguero, we hope you die. <laughs> so, it's, yes. It's definitely to the point. Definitely to the point. Well, I feel like it didn't become public. He posted it on his website <laughs> that he wanted to leave and he was ready to go to Atletico. So I feel like he... Definitely didn't manage that situation particularly well. I feel like he's been kind of, there's been moments in his career where he's just, earlier in his career, when he got to Man City, he was very quiet, very professional, kind of, you didn't hear anything about him. But I feel like when he was younger, there was a few moments where you're like, hmm, okay, just kind of wild decisions or like how choosing to leave Atletico that way, it seems very like foolish. Having just signed a contract, maybe he was just, like tricked into signing the contract or convinced and then regretted it. I don't know, but it seems like a kind of a shame to end that kind of really exciting chapter of his career in quite a sour way. But I'm sure we'd have to talk to Atletico fans, but I'm sure Atletico fans still look back at his time pretty fondly considering I think we've talked about the kind of lineage of strikers, of great strikers that they've had. And he they were, re- he was like early in that, right? It was Torres, then him, like, or Forlan, then him. Like he's kind he of... Was- 
it was Torres, Forlan, him, him, Forlan, and then when look, Atletico fans are not spoiled for many things, but when it comes to strikers, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember the last club that sold a player like Aguero and purchased the Radamel Falcao as a yeah, replacement. Yeah. That is absolutely <laughs> insane. But Rory, I don't know you about you, but I feel like when I was younger, I kind of missed most of Aguero's deeds at Atletico. Mm. But I remember the last season it was at Atletico I was just like oh my god this is the ultimate striker I remember that last season I was uh, like checking the scores in Spain and so many times it was Aguero 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 by the way I studied languages and it's not Aguero it's Aguero why Aguero, because yeah. it's got the two dots on the U mm-hmm. which makes the U to be pronounced sorry little language tip <laughs> there you go no, that was the moment and Rory I wanted to ask you before we move on to the biggest part mm-hmm. of his career of course it's 10 years at Manchester City that made him become one of the standout names in Premier League history um I wanted to ask you what are the the the, the, the standout things that you remember from Aguero's style of play um I just always, the first thing that comes to mind is that he doesn't need time and he doesn't need space. Mm -hmm. He just, no matter what position in the pitch he's in, he will find space or time or he'll just get the ball from under his feet and he's always a threat. Um, There's no, again, looking back to his goals, there's no like typical Aguero goal. I think if there is, it's like a kind of dink to the far post. He does love a kind of dink to the far post or a shot to the far post. But there's no kind of typical goal. He just scored all sorts of goals. And like you said, with that last year at Atletico, he was the first signing. Because obviously City at that point had been spending quite a bit of money. And it had been hit and miss with a lot of players like Alano, Robinho. There'd been a few that had come and not kind of really impressed. But with him, he was the first signing where I was like, oh, Man City are serious. This is a signing that means... Because you knew that every club in the world was after him. Like every like Real Madrid and Juventus were apparently close to getting him when he went to City, but he'd always wanted to play in England. So he was the first signing where I was like, oh, this could genuinely be something that means City are a threat. And it did. <laughs> like he he was the first kind of like nail in that there of like, okay, City are a force now. And it was that kind of marquee world-class signing. I I absolutely agree with you about Aguero, and this is one of the things that makes him so great, is that he could score headers, he could score Mm -hmm. from outside the box, inside the box, he could dribble, he could do anything. But one thing that I realized he was very good at by re-watching his highlight reel is the give-and-go. He's the king Mm -hmm. of the give-and-go. And sometimes his give-and-goes take a completely different shape than most. He's like on the left flank, gives the ball to the guy holding up the position, like on top of the box, and the guy kind of has to shoulder the defenders because that he knows that Aguero is going to run all the way to the right flank, get the ball back and score. There are a few goals like that, and it's absolutely incredible. But we've gotten to the time, 21st of May, 2011. He plays his first game for Atletico, and then the decision comes. He is a new Manchester City signing. And Rory, this is your league of expertise. I shall let you go. So he signs for a reported £35 million and he makes his debut for City on the 15th of August 2011 in a 4-0 win against Premier League side at the time, Swansea City. Now, this debut is kind of considered one of the greatest debuts of all time. Um, He scores a hat-trick and, yeah, he scores a hat-trick after coming on the bench. He makes it 2-0, 3-0. No, he scores two and gets an assist. Sorry. He scores... 
And the second goal is an absolute belter from outside the box. The first goal is a tap-in at the far post, again, showing us the different types of goals he can make. And he sets up the fourth goal, and everyone's like, wow, who is this kid? We knew he was going to be good, but that is a hell of an impact. Um, we've, and from then on, it just seemed like every game in the Premier League, if he played, he scored. Now, I was trying to look at the teams he scored the most against, right, within the Premier League. So... I was looking through his greatest goals again, and what I noticed was that Chelsea were in a lot of those goals, a lot of those clips. He scored in 23 games against Chelsea, he scored 15 goals. Right? Damn. And, yeah, and got three assists. One of the goals, I think it was in the 15 16 season, but there's a point where I think it's Silver is on the ball and he's waiting for the pass and Aguero's kind of trying to stay in line with the defense. And he honestly runs in about four different directions and then finally makes the run perfectly timed onto the ball, the Silver, and clips it into the top corner. And it's just a beautiful goal. And it's just, it seemed like every big game he scored. So yeah. against the top six, the other top six teams alone, he scored 56 goals. Like, he scored, if I take you through the teams that he scored the most against in the Premier League, right? I'm going to do it super quickly. So, like I said, Chelsea, 15 in 23. Then you've got Newcastle, 15 in 15. (laughs) What? Damn. Um, Tottenham, 12 in 18. Arsenal, 11 in 19. Uh, Man United, 9 in 16. You've got Liverpool, 7 in 22. It seemed like every game against the big sides, he scored a goal. Mm-hmm. Every final he would score. I remember so many goals against Arsenal. There's one in the League Cup final as well. And it was just, it was the one player in the Premier League. Like now, I kind of get a similar thing with Ronaldo, right? When you know that you're playing against Ronaldo, you're like, oh, well, we're already 1 0 down because he's definitely going to score. I always got the same feeling with Aguero. It was like, okay, we're against him, so we're 1 0 down because you know that if he gets a chance, he's going to take it. And that's what he does, right? Um, but Obviously, we've talked about that goal, so I feel like we should talk about other goals. Um, My other standout goal for him is against Liverpool. I think I'm terrible with seasons, guys. I think this is the 18-19 season at the Etihad, where at the far post, he kind of, with his right foot, flicks it up, and his left foot just smashes it into the roof of the corner. That was a game that City go on to win, I believe, a pivotal point in the title race as well. And just the like archetypal big game player, always there and just scoring plenty of goals. Um, within the Premier League, sorry, last, within the Premier League, he scored five goals twice, four goals three times and got a load of hat-tricks. Like his his scoring record is truly insane. Yeah, and talking about insane scoring records in his first season at Manchester City, remember, remember, the guy was 24 years old. He scored 23 goals in 34 games. And that goal to seal the win over the Cross City rivals, the first ever title for your club. I mean, I think that he could have just sat on the bench for the rest of his life and he would have still become a Manchester City legend. Um, it was beautiful and it was he was only 24 years old, I repeat. And he had the, the leadership of somebody much, much older than that. Also, another thing, Balotelli, Zeko and the Sergio Aguero up front. What kind of lineup was Mancini playing? <laughs> that is, like they are three, like honestly, three 
Heavy Obviously, weight. Balotelli went off the boil, but three kind of potentially generational strikers there. We've talked about how Dzeko is like criminally underrated, right? Yeah. Like that is a hell of a front line for City. But before we kind of maybe talk about his international career a little bit, I want mm-hmm. to talk about the Premier League very, very quickly. And just these records, right? Before Aguero. So most goals at one club, Thierry Omri. Best minute to goal ratio, Thierry Omri. Most hat tricks, Alan Shearer. Most player of the match awards, Steven Gerrard. Um, most goals by a foreign player, Thierry Henry, and most hat-tricks in a single ground, Thierry Henry. After Aguero, Aguero now holds all of those records. Wow, this is beautifully put, Rory. This is the journalism that we like, Rory, indeed. <laughs> but no, he's become... So he's going to go down in history as one of the greatest ever players in the Premier League, right? Oh, undoubtedly. And I was lucky enough to see him one time against Arsenal. And it was genuinely like, you know, you know me, Tommy, we've been to San Siro when I was excited about Messi playing, but then he kept getting injured. I get very excited about being able to add players that I've seen live to a list. And Aguero is thankfully one of them. And I was genuinely like, I think with a lot of players, when you see them live, they're always faster than you see, than they see him on telly. Um, and you, you're able to appreciate their kind of like off the ball runs more. And I was just absolutely blown away by him. I know as well, friend of the show, Tom, um, he has seen him against West Ham, maybe score a hat trick, I believe. And Tom says it's still the best individual performance he's ever seen live. Still a dream to see him wear the black and the blue colors of Inter Milan. Look, Inter Milan, I've got that Argentinian connection for so long. I was like, come on, guys, come on. I thought it would happen at some point, you know. I thought it would happen. There was a season when it was at Man City. I do not recall which season, but there were rumors about him coming to Inter Milan. Did not happen, of course. Before we move on to the international career, uh, I just wanted to recap his uh, type, his uh, what do you call it, his uh, palmares, his uh, titles at both Atletico Madrid and Man City. Well, Atletico Madrid, UEFA Europa League and UEFA Super Cup against Inter Milan. And then in the Premier League with Manchester City, five uh, Premier League titles, 184 goals. Let that sink in. Club's all-time top goal scorer, fourth all-time Premier League top goal scorer, and the first foreigner goal scorer, top goal scorer in the Premier League. Other individual awards, but this was back at Atletico Madrid, the Don Ballon Award, the Golden Boy Award, and the World Soccer Young Player of the Year. Damn. The only thing that is missing, and we need to say it, is the Champions League, Mm -hmm. and we were trying to look into that, and maybe a Man City fan can help us. What happened on his last like on his last season at Man City because we know that unfortunately he got he suffered a lot of different injuries and he was often uh, not eligible for the squad but it feels like something maybe fell off with Guardiola and uh, at the end of last season I don't remember him playing that much and in the Champions League final he got subbed in at the 77th minute we would have loved the Sergio Aguero to lift the Champions League as well mm-hmm. but Let's move on to the international career, Rory. So, as I said, he is, I think, the only player to win the FIFA Under-20 World Cup twice. And as I said, that Argentina squad was incredible. So, not only did they have, like, Messi, they had a lot of players like Insua, Mascherano. There was a lot of really big players that went on and achieved great things in that squad. But then he finally, after waiting a long time, much like Messi, you know, he finally won a major honor with the Argentina um, 
football team as he won the Copper America in 2021. So I think not only should we be happy that Messi won it, we should also be very happy that Sergio Aguero has lifted a title with Argentina, especially beating Brazil in the final. Extra sweet, right? Um, and again, a guy who was like key to their victories. 101 caps for Argentina. And now... We haven't explained why he's retiring, but probably, guys, you've seen it. It's all over the news. Mm-hmm. A heart condition, um, and he decided to prioritize his health, of course, rather than football. Now, why is it particularly sad to me? Because I don't know where that was. It was on YouTube, but there was a clip with an interview. Maybe it was Bleacher Report football. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an interview with him at his home and I think that in 20 minutes of the clip, he must have said 20 times, football is everything I have. Mm-hmm. Um, he felt like an extremely lonely person at his big-ass home in Manchester. He's uh, divorced from his wife, who lives in Argentina, and this kid also lives in Argentina. And he, just, he said, you know, um, aside from football, I play video games. And then I watch yeah, a lot of football. Hey, and that then I go bit in All or Nothing was difficult. Hey? There were some difficult moments in All or Nothing when he was interviewed where you're like, are you happy? I don't know if yeah, you're happy. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. It just seemed like somebody who's got a lot of like issues in his private life and football was keeping him afloat. Mm-hmm. But, Sergio, we are behind you. And for any Sergio Aguero fans, we, I probably imagine that he's going to become one of the top Twitch streamers for (laughs) video games so and he is like i i'm not a gamer like at all but i have watched a few like sergio aguero videos playing among us or world of warcraft Mm -hmm. and the guy is funny as fuck (laughs) Also, also the argentinian twitch community apparently like they always try like the best streamers they always try to have him on and he always has a good joke. And one time they said, like, there was this guy on the stream that kept asking him about Mbappé. Don't you think Mbappé is crazy? <laughs> Mbappé is crazy. Like, isn't he crazy good? And everything at that point, he just, like, loses it. And he's like, dude, why did you invite me on the stream? Are you just going to, like, serenade fucking Mbappé all the time? Like, let's fucking play video games. Like, fuck, stop talking about Mbappé. He was just like, yo, Sergio, calm down. But you see, like, it was very funny because he's got this angry face and then he bursts out laughing. Like, <laughs> I was playing the character. Uh, so maybe good. a new career is already on the way and maybe you will have time to spend uh, more time alongside your family. These are our wishes Probably it's good that you're not playing for this Barcelona side. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to end your career. And this is so sad. He fucking moved to Barcelona to play alongside yeah. his best friend, Messi. And his best friend was just like, ah, actually, I'm gone. Bye. It kind of hurts my heart, that story. It really does hurt my heart. But it's worth noting that he barely played for Barcelona and still scored in an El Clasico. So good work, <laughs> Aguero. Very good work. But the last final thing about his uh, his kind of speech, his send-off, it was really beautiful. It kind of, you know, he was holding back tears and there was all these journalists and they all applauded. And I was like, stand up, stand up. Mm-hmm. And not one of them gave him a standard. Not one person stood up. I was like, come on, guys. It's like, what well, you do? A great of the game. He's retiring. Give him a stand innovation. They didn't, the bastards. But it was good to see everyone who was there. Guardiola flew out. Lots of like ex-players. I think Xabi Alonso was there as well. Lots of players that he's played with in the past. Um, and it was great to great to see, although it's quite a difficult watch. 
very difficult to watch. I agree with you. Yeah, fucking stand up, guys. Um, two things that I wanted to say. Number one, to me, Sergio Guero embodies the perfect striker. And I feel like there are less and less of these strikers. I feel like tactics are getting in the way and they're kind of like hindering the natural talent of players at times. But there is okay. one, there is one player that I think <laughs> should watch Sergio Guero highlight reels for the rest of his life until he perfects, he perfections is a craft, and I'm talking about Lautaro Martinez. Now, is it only me, or do you also notice some similarities between the two? I can see some. Yeah, I think physically they're quite similar, although maybe Martinez is a little bit more physical, although I think Sergio Aguero, low-key, was pretty strong, could hold off a defender. Um, I think, yeah, they like, they kind of have a similar, they're able to finish to a similar kind of like a similar style, maybe not Martinez quite as clinical as Aguero yet. Um, but I think, yeah, they have, they're both kind of pretty good in the air for like short people, right? I think there's, they've got quite a lot in common and Martinez could do a lot worse than try to emulate him. I'm sure within the Argentina camp, he was picking up lots of tips from him. He did get a few training sessions in with him, thankfully. And um, I, guys, this was so stupid. I just, I had the notes on my phone about Aguero and I was like, we are done with the Aguero beat. So I'll just delete this note. But I had, I had the quote. <laughs> this is so stupid. We could have cut it off, but guys, you know, we're all about being genuine. Uh, but I'm going to find it again because I have the, his page open right here, or maybe I'm not going to find it ever again. Um, there was a very beautiful quote that you can find on Wikipedia about his goal <laughs> at Manchester. No, I can't find it anymore uh, about his goal at Manchester City um, and he said that uh, it's one of those moments that probably never happens again in your career and when he passed the ball to Balotelli he was convinced that, that Balotelli was trying to have a go probably everybody was convinced <laughs> but that is the moment that Balotelli was just like you know what it's time to actually play football and be unselfish and that assist I have to say it that assist is perfect yeah, because yeah. he's falling to the ground but he kind of follows the ball with the tip of his foot mm -hmm. and then it falls perfectly in place Aguero's task is nothing but easy he manages to dribble a defender that falls to the ground and then in the quote that you can find on Wikipedia he said I didn't think about anything I was just like Sergio Sergio find the room to shoot and shoot 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 and he scored. And I want to say that that shot, uh, if you look at his highlight reel, it's one of the least pretty goals because it just feels like the ball is boiling hot and he just needs to kick it and he knows it's going to go in. Sergio, thank you so much for all the memories. Good luck on your future career. Rory, anything to tell Sergio? Hasta luego. Adios. Whichever one's more fitting. Hasta luego. Maybe as a manager. No, I cannot see him I as can't a see manager either, really. like, at all. But Adios oh. feels a bit too final. Yeah. Hasta luego. Hasta, Hasta luego. luego. We'll stick with that. Hasta luego, che. Talk to you <laughs> later. <laughs> and now, the Passaparola quiz. And it is time for our newish, I think it still counts as new, quiz, Passaparola. And this time it is my turn to test Tommy. Tommy, do you think you're going to match my incredible show in last week? And more importantly, my incredible run? 
last you week. Had the, you had the 12 points and you had a very impressive run. Um, you warned me that some of these questions are, I don't remember the adjective, but you made it seem like you really, you really went with hard questions this time around. Is it true? They're not hard. There's just a few that I, I don't know. I hope my sense of humor pokes through, but maybe that's towards the end. And now <laughs> I've just set myself up for a massive fail. As someone's like, I'm still waiting for the funny questions, man. Where are the funny questions? Like, <laughs> but Rory, do you want to explain our listeners how the game actually works? Because it's super easy, but when it comes to explaining it in English, I struggle. Yeah, well, you're going to see how um, efficient a teacher I am in, in explanations now. So you have Kids. two minutes to answer as many questions as you can, but the questions are in order of the alphabet. You can either pasa parola, which means you get a the timer stops and, and then you move on to the next you letter. move on to the next one or you get it wrong the time stops and you move on to the next one you exactly. have two minutes to answer as many questions as you can but also there is a possibility that you get it right the time doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah, i always forget that one <laughs> and you yeah, keep yeah. going along the wheel all right i think it's time for our theme sound What a banger that is. Incredibly 90s, but here we are. We're ready to go. More importantly, Tommy, are you ready to go? Yeah, I am. And for our listeners, just type Passaparola original theme, and you can see how undressed that the dancers were on Italian television towards the end of the 90s. It was the only moment of the day that my grand- grandfather kind of woke up from a constant nap and was just like, you know, elbowing me like, hey, which one is your favorite? <laughs> the blonde, the brunette. It was, yep, Italy. What a beautiful place it was. At the peak <laughs> of Berlusconi television. That was all owned by Berlusconi, of course. I'll be honest. It feels like Italian TV hasn't moved on that much since, I'll be honest. But yeah. Trust me, it has, which says a lot about our country. But Rory, I am ready to start whenever you are. Have you got the timer? Have you got the question? I have. I'm ready to go. All right. Let's go. In three, two, one. Argentinian ex-Valencia player, small, big hair. Passaparola. This is the guy that played also for Arsenal, I believe. No? No, 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 no. Okay. Let's keep going. Okay, in three, two, one. B, notoriously difficult South American team to play away. Boca Juniors. No. What was it? Bolivia. Oh, I was... Ah, God damn it. You're right. You're right. You're right. I was thinking of club team. Right? All right. (laughs) God, what a great start for me. All right, let's keep going. Okay, in three, two, one. C, first club of El Phenomenal. Passaparola. <laughs> oh. I know it. Now I know it after saying Passaparola. All right, let's keep going. Okay. And oh, go. D, ex-Fulham player, American. Dempsey. Good. Cross City rivals of Barcelona. Espanol. Good. F. Independiente, United, Villarreal, Atletico, Inter. Who am I? Passaparola. Ooh. Ooh. Right. We're at G. Okay. And you ready? 
Hello? I am. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. G. Nickname of Real Madrid in the 2000s. Galacticos. H. Scorpion kicking Colombian goalkeeper. Higita. I. Gilfie Sigurdsson is from. Iceland. J. Only World Cup appearance is in 98. Uh, Jamaica. K. Wisła and Krakowia are based in which Polish city? Krakow. L. Benfica, Chelsea, PSG, Chelsea, Arsenal. Who am I? Passaparola. Got 56 this, I, seconds left, Tommy. I, I knew this one. I knew this one too. There are already two that I passed and I knew them. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> right, I'm ready. It does We're get at letter, you. Right. letter M. Okay, three, two, one. M. Aguero's son's godfather. Maradona. No. Oh, the, damn it. It was Messi, of course. <laughs> and, and Aguero was married to Maradona's daughter. That was exactly. the story. Damn it. This was tricky. There were two M's in that wedding. Ah, <laughs> damn it, damn it, damn it. All right. I, so far, I've got uh, seven points. All right. Seven. That's not it. bad. Not bad. Okay, how, we are on N, and you've how got 52 time? seconds left. All right, let's go. 52 seconds in three, two, one. English team nicknamed the Canaries. Newcastle. No. Oh, it's Norwich, right? Yeah. The magpies and the Canaries. The magpies There's lots are... of birds in the Premier League. Lots and lots of birds. Lots of birds in the Premier League. All right, let's keep going with O. Okay, O in three, two, one. Celtic versus Rangers is called? Passaparola. Oof. Ah, damn it. Why? Okay, dude, there are three. Oh, my God. There are already three that I passed and I knew them. <laughs> I will tell them after. All right. Okay. P, you've got 30, 34 seconds left. P, um, in three, two, one. MLS team with the suffix union. Philadelphia. Good. Q, London-based football team. Queen Park Rangers. Good. R, Hadji, Mutu, and Kivu all played for... Romania. Romania, Good. Romania. S. Spain won the World Cup in? South Africa. Good. T. Who get battered everywhere they go? Tottenham. Good. U. Zico played for this Italian team between 1983 and 1985. Good. V. Brazilian team named after Portuguese explorer? Vasco da Gama. Good. Stadium, of, stadium name of young boys? You gotta tell me the letter, motherfucker. W. <laughs> Passaparola. And you're out of time. You're no, out of time. wait. I want. I want. I want five more seconds to answer the next question because you did not give me the letter. And okay, that was right. Fine. Let me, focus let me mode. get my timer. Right. You should be able to follow the alphabet, Tommy. Right. I okay, know. Good. I know. But we don't have right. the W, Xs, and Ys in Italian. <laughs> okay, I always get right. confused. Okay. I put five seconds on the clock. Which ready? letter? Which letter? W. Okay. Okay. <laughs> W, stadium name of young boys. Passaparola. And you're out of time. That wasn't bad. All right, so I got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Oh, yes! Which means I'm at 26 and Rory is at 22. Stay tuned. There could be more episodes. Guys, you haven't let us know that much. 
if you're enjoying this game or not. If you can follow it from home, that is our main interest. Possibly is not the best game to play while you're driving. I can see people crashing their car <laughs> rather quickly. Like, what is it? What is it? Closing their eyes and just going straight <laughs> into a tree. All right, let's start from letter A that I passed. What was the question again? Okay, so A, we had um, Argentinian ex-Valencia player, small, big hair. It was Pablo Aymar. Ah, Pablo Aymar. Correct, correct. I did not remember that one. Okay, then B, we had notoriously difficult South American team to play away. I should have said national team. That was a bit difficult. It was Bolivia, of course, because of Mm -hmm. the really high altitude. Um, C, you said you know the answer now, Tommy. What was it? El Phenomeno's first club. Corinthians. No, it was Cruzeiro. Ah, Cruzeiro, correct. So I did not know this one, right? (laughs) Confirmed. Uh, D, you got right. Ex-Fulham player, American, was, of course, Clint Dempsey. Um, F, I I pass a parola on F. Okay, F, Independiente, United, Villarreal, Atletico, and Inter. Who is it, Tommy? Forlan. It is Diego Forlan. You next passed on... Letter L. L, Benfica, Chelsea, PSG, Chelsea, Arsenal. Who is it? David Luiz. David Luiz, of course it is. David Luiz, of course. And with the old match between uh, Celtic and Rangers, it's the old firm, of course. It is the old firm, Derby. Good work. The next one you passed on was... I'm just scrolling down quickly. None of them. Yeah, W. Oh, W. W, the stadium name of young boys is the Wankdorf Stadion. That's why I include it. Not only they're called the Young Boys, yeah, but they yeah. also have a stadium called the Wank the Dorf. Wank, That's Wankdorf pretty. Stadion, yeah. <laughs> also, Tommy, I just have to really, I was so happy when you got who gets battered everywhere they go when you got Tottenham. I was very, very happy about that. I, just like our <laughs> listeners, I was waiting for your sense of humor. And then when I saw that, I was like, T, t- I was like, T is going to be something about me. But then it was like Tottenham. Like, I was expecting <laughs> terrible five-a-side goalkeeper, Tommaso Adami, like But all right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm leading the game finally after the shambles of the one minute to kick off quiz by 26 to 22. Rory, we'll see if next week, you know, guys, Christmas is coming up. We have to plan a bunch of stuff, but the game might as well be back. Mm-hmm. That's all from me. Remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and also to give a cheeky follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. I leave it to Rory to send you off with our customary quote, this time around dedicated to Sergio Aguero, of course. It could only be one man. And here we are. Here's the quiz. Here's the quiz. No, the quiz is done. Here's the quote. I like tricks. I like to dazzle. Dribbling and leaving your opponent on his backside is what life is for. If I achieve what I want to, then I'll mark a distinct era in football. I'm the Che Guevara of modern soccer. Well, you definitely, definitely marked an era of football. Thank you, Sergio. Thank you, listeners. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>